Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history, and we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at the infamous penis castrator, Lorena Bobbitt. You never thought you'd be starting an episode with the word penis. No, I didn't. When I opened up the script today, oh, I've seen the word penis a lot here. But I've actually been plagued on a similar vein by bum holes. Why? It's weird. You know when you notice something and then you just notice it everywhere. Like if you're like looking at a particular type of car, you'll see it on the road. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I was out for a lovely walk, just having a lovely stroll around the area with Sylvie, trying to get her to have a little nap. I heard a rustle in the trees above me and I looked up thinking I was going to see like a bird or something. And I just, I, th- <laughs> I saw like a squirrel's bum hole. Like, what? Yeah. It was obviously like about to jump onto a branch above. Yeah. But I basically from below saw the squirrel in its squat before it jumped you were at the right place at the right time i think i saw inside its anus (laughs) to see any nuts (laughs) (laughs) but i was like i was so like ah (laughs) squirrel bubble and then i sort of like had to like take a little jog forward because i thought is it about to have a shit am i about to get shit on by a squirrel and then i was like hang on a minute i spent my whole life being afraid of bird shit right you know you hear a thing above you and you're like oh a bird's gonna poo on me you see pigeons fucking run in it like in a tree yeah. they're, they're aiming for you seagulls they're bastards yeah they're, 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 they're they doing definitely that. aim for you yeah right i was like i do squirrels even poo have this whole time when i see bird shit splattered on the ground underneath the tree you can tell the trees that are highly populated ground underneath is always a mess is some of that squirrel shit do you know what, what? Do, do squirrels s- even what does it look like or have i been mistaking bird shit this whole time as squirrel shit i would say i don't think a squirrel strikes me as the kind of animal to just shit from the treetops i would say they'd be more like a rabbit and would just go in the grass and take a poo like just a little little nugget of poo i reckon their poo looks like rabbit poo okay that makes sense but like they'd come down from the tree to do the little poo on the they're ground. always on the ground they Aren't are they? quite frequently on the ground, yeah. Yeah. But then, a couple of days it. later, I was very aware of the treetops. Yeah. And I saw a pigeon's bum. Oh my God, what? Yeah. And I watched it do a poo. And I, like, I didn't watch it. It was just like, I wasn't waiting, sat there watching it, waiting for it to do a poo. But it was just ahead of me and like, you know, I'm really scared of getting pooed. Have you got like telescopic vision where you can just zoom in to like buttholes? Well, Helen, in my last eye test, my left eye did have improved sight. Oh. Yeah. Specifically for buttholes. It was, yeah. I follow an Instagram account. Did they not do the butthole test when you... No. You look... If you can read these letters and just find the bumhole... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. no i was about to say i actually follow an instagram account called secret buttholes it's fantastic i follow that yeah. looks like a snatch oh they yeah find vaginas and everything it's just videos of things that look like buttholes <laughs> and i just love it it's great there's something quite like everybody has one i know and like everybody <laughs> poops yeah but yeah this pigeon it did its poo and it landed 
in like a perfect cylinder. Like it didn't even splat on the pavement. It was just like a turd. And I was like, what is going on? I'm having all these like anomaly bum holes and poos around me. But whole week for you. Yeah. Is this the story that you were desperate to tell me that you yeah. were going to write that? You were actually going to text me and then you were like, yeah. no, I said this in the podcast. Because I saw the squirrel's bum hole and it, like my mind just like exploded into like, I've never seen a squirrel's bum hole. Oh my God. Like, do they poo? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and I immediately pulled my phone out to be like, oh, I'm going to voice note Helen and tell her of my brain's ramblings. And then I was like, save it. Yeah. And so I text, I voice noted Baker instead. And I feel like his response was subpar. Oh, okay. He wasn't, yeah. He wasn't as impressed. No. Mm, interesting. And I can't tell if this is mind-blowing mm. or if it's just that I need to get out more. What, what the, the butthole? Yeah. Mm. I feel like also the chance encounter, like squirrels move fast, right? Yeah. And they, they don't like to be near people. No. For me to be directly underneath. I think some squirrels actually are quite friendly. If you're yeah. sitting there and you've got like a sandwich, some squirrels will come up and be like, yo, bitch, give me that. Is that peanut butter? Oh, that, I've never, ever seen that happen before. Uh, I've, I've had it. I've had squirrels come up to me and be very friendly. I don't you, touch them. Is that because you wander around the parks going, ah? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a princess. No <laughs> yeah. They help me do my chores. <laughs> we nearly didn't record this episode today because I made an error. I think a very honest error, which I think it opened up a can of worms as to all the other mistakes I've ever made in my life, which are very, on- I call them honest errors because they're so, like, obvious. So basically... We have a set time to record our podcast. Yes, we like we like routine. We, we like routine, so we do it at ten a.m. And we got here. We had our coffee. We were very. It was it was very coincidental. Like all the doors for some reason were open in the studio today. Normally, I've put in codes to get in everywhere, but they're all open. So we just walk in, waltz in, we got our coffees, put down, put down the laptop, plug everything in. I'm like, Danny, nothing's turning on. I can't get the power to work. So I leave, and luckily someone that works here is walking around, and he comes lovely in. Lovely man, Jake, yeah, our lo- new best friend. Lovely Jake. And he was like, can I look at your booking confirmation? I was like, of course you can. And I get it up, and he was like, this is for 10 p.m. till midnight. <laughs> and I was like, no. But I said, but you could see my intent there. I wanted 10. I don't know how I, it said 10 on the booking form. Maybe it well, was in the I mean, PMI. Like, I didn't the, notice. Who the fuck doesn't use 24 hour clock on a booking system these days? I know, you know right? I mean? get, yeah. get a grip. Exactly. But then it reminds me of the time that I booked a train to London and I'd actually booked a train from London to Norwich and I had to go to the ticket person and go, I bought my train ticket the wrong way round. <laughs> <laughs> and they, had, they, they were like, okay, that's a really obvious mistake we'll give you your ticket, like we'll change it for you. Have you ever done anything like that? No. No. <laughs> Probably. Just me. I always make obvious mistakes. I do it, I think, because of just the way that my brain works. Like yesterday I was annoyed that I had my colorama's delivered to my house. I know I put in my office address, but they still went to my house. And I know that that was probably a very last minute Google autofill and I'd press next very quickly and didn't even stop to check the details over because I was just running rush to get the thing ordered. And then I'd get all guilty and annoyed at myself because I was like, I could have stopped this. If I was just contemplating it for one more second, I would have seen the mistake that I made. But I'm just always rushing through life. And then I make mistakes and then I'm like, that's all my fault. I'm terrible. <laughs> I don't make mistakes because I'm perfect. They're happy accidents. I don't, yeah. I just, have you tried being perfect? 
I've tried that. I mean, I, I'm expected <laughs> to be being in the public eye, yeah. I suppose, but I just, I'm not that. I'm not. Um, I, I do make mistakes like that. Don't worry. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, everybody. One time, my mum is queen of making mistakes like that. And one time when I was a kid, we turned up to a horse riding lesson mm. 24 hours late. Oh. <laughs> Like, oh, that was yesterday. I, that opens up the floodgates of all the other stupid shit that I've done, but it's just interesting. Has anybody else has anybody else done that? DM us. I love it, and I love it. Because like, I don't want to feel like a, like a, the only fool of the world. I love it when people, like being on the other end of it, like when you're in customer service and people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I thought it was yesterday or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And they, I like seeing people get flustered. But I'm the person that's like, um, hello, hello, Mr. Phone Man. Um, you saw me two weeks ago because I'd, I'd broken my phone and, and you kindly fixed it for me. Well, um, I've, I've done it again. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yes, yes, I can. Yes, I did shut my phone in a car door again in the space of two weeks. <laughs> and yes, I'm very embarrassed. I'm very embarrassed about it. <laughs> I can't be trusted. I can't have nice things. That's, that's me. They love it. They love it. Anyway, should we get into the story? Yeah, this is a hell of a mistake to make. Or not, because it was intentional. No, I don't think it's... I mean, okay. Right, so I, I would just like to point out, first of all, this case does cover domestic violence and sexual violence. I'm always getting them ones, aren't I? So if you find those topics distressing and uncomfortable, don't listen. Don't listen. We'll put some resources, I feel like, in the description for... Oh, um, yeah, there's you know. always the helpful, helpful resources in the episode description. Yeah. Anyway, we have a list, right, of episodes that we're going to record. And all it is, is the name and then a very, very short synopsis of... It was a one-liner, a sentence. Because we don't want to give it away to the no. other person. No, so we'd literally... And I think on mine, it said, Lorena Bobbitt cut off her husband's penis and my first reaction was like I want that one that sounds hilarious I had the reaction that anyone else would I suppose like haha you know wonder why she did that what did he do to deserve it which is a very kind of it's something that everybody kind of jokes about I'm gonna cut his dick off exactly and I actually feel like I totally played into that typical and actually on reflection after reading the case quite shameful response yeah, and no, I feel like a dick even just saying it. Now. Yeah, like the oh my god, because, because bad, bad terminology there, phrasing. Oh, I feel like. <laughs> that's it. Like my reaction is pretty much like part of the problem as to what like and why this case was so problematic, I guess, and what it caused and what happened in the world. So I'm I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the fucking problem. And after reading and doing my research on the case, I'm ashamed of myself. So I've put it out there. I've called myself out and we're going to get into the story. This is interesting, to, but that's why we're here. We're learning. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not true crime experts and we're not moral experts. No, no, we're not. You have to be open to learning about yourself and, and It's all, all about yeah. self-reflection and education. You yeah, can't man. grow if you don't if you don't call yourself out on shit. Here we go. So here we go, right? Are you ready? Oh, I feel like I'm less ready than I was at the start, but we're learning, yeah. we're growing. We're learning, we're growing. Okay, so it's the early hours of the morning on June 23rd, 1993. 26-year-old John Wayne Bobbitt arrives at A&E after just enduring a man's worst nightmare, bleeding profusely and in an incredible amount of pain. 
John had just had his penis sliced clean off by his wife, Lorena. Dr. Sen arrived at the scene exclaiming that time was against them and they had to find his penis very soon if he wanted it to be reattached and for it to work. That's when police were notified by Lorena herself that she had attacked her husband, drove away with the knife in one hand and his penis in the other before tossing them both out the window. She arrived at a friend's apartment where she was urged by her friend to make a phone call to the police. So the police asked where she had disposed of both the knife and his penis and explained they needed to know if it was to ever be reattached. She told them she had thrown it into a field where it was found and successfully reattached. Oh my God. Later, she was questioned by police where she told them, this is her pronunciation because she was from Ecuador, so her oh, okay. her English wasn't like really, really, really like perfect. So he always have orgasm and he doesn't wait for me to have orgasm. But also made allegations which resulted in her having a rape kit examination in the same hospital at the same time as his reattachment surgery. So you've got her at one end and him at the other. Wow. So this is just a mess. This case sparked a national media frenzy. This is the Raina Bobbit. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So let's go back to the start. Lorena Gallo was born in Ecuador, October 31st, 1969. And she grew up in a very Catholic family. She kind of knew from an early age that life in Ecuador wasn't for her. And she wanted to move to America. So on her 16th birthday, she visited America. And that confirmed her desire to move there. So shortly after, she was around 17, 18, she moved to America. So John Wayne Bobbitt. I keep hearing Gacy. I know, it's very very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, so John Bobbitt was born in 1967 and he grew up in Niagara Falls, New York. His father was out of the picture and at the age of three, he was taken away from his mother who was a drug addict and him and his two brothers went to live with his aunt and uncle. So when he was of age, he enlisted into the Marines. Lorena has now moved to America and it's 1988 and she met John in a club for enlisted men. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a club for military personnel, yeah. basically. She met him in there. And so if you like a man in uniform, you just where go else are you going to go? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Do those things still exist? I don't know. I feel like that would really make dating a lot simpler. <laughs> right. So at the time, Lorena was a community college student in Virginia and John became Lorena's first boyfriend. It was said during the time that they were dating that John would often forget his wallet, resulting in Lorraine always paying on dates, and a few close family friends would comment on his behaviour towards Lorena. He was quite rude, didn't really particularly treat her that well, and people got a bit of a sour taste about John, like, from the beginning, but Lorena was deeply in love with him. Like, he was gorgeous, and she fancied the pants of him and just was when you're really young, into it. You're young, it's your first boyfriend, you just don't know any better, do yeah. you? And you always think that this is going to be the one. Yeah, exactly. And she was infatuated with the idea of living the American dream. So she'd just moved there. She was in college. She'd got a gorgeous boyfriend. And so she's probably foreseeing like this white picket fence life that she's really, really wants and is sort of desperate to have. 
The pair were married on June 18th, 1989, when Lorena was 20 and John was 22. And their wedding was small and it was done by the Justice of Peace. Very cute. Lots of ruffles, big 90s like. Nice. You know, big sleeves. According to John, their wedding was rushed, not because of love, but because Lorraine, Lorena's student visa was expiring and she wanted to stay in America. So it's interesting, actually, when you look back at like interviews of both of them, they both got very different takes on their relationship. Oh, okay, she's, she's got quite a romanticised one. Yeah, and his is very much like, well, yeah, we were together, but she just wanted to live here and he hasn't got nice things to say. It's very kind of right. diggy, making okay. digs and like, diggy. you know, not nice. Interesting. Two years after they were married, John was discharged from the Marines and he had trouble finding work and holding down jobs. So this left Lorena to be the sole provider for the household. So they now lived in Manassas, Virginia, where Lorena worked as a nanny and at a beauty salon. She became close friends with the salon owner, Jana Basuti. It was said and had been witnessed by many that John was abusive and controlling. One example of this was when Christmas, he insisted she opened her present from him in front of the family, to which it was sexy lingerie. And you've got to put it into context. She's a very Catholic lady. She's very quiet. She's very meek. She's very, you know, she's quite shy, I suppose. And this was devastating for her because she was opening this box in front of all of these close family friends and it was knickers, like lacy lingerie. And she immediately hid it away and left the room out of just pure humiliation. Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah, and he followed her and pinned her to the wall threatening her and causing her distress. And this was witnessed by people that were there. So he um, didn't give a shit. He didn't give a shit. But Lorena often downplayed this behaviour um, as she was embarrassed to be seen as a victim at the hand of her husband. Also, bearing in mind, because she is Catholic, it made your marriage work. And divorce was like the most humiliating thing. So she just didn't want to talk about it, didn't like people addressing it and very much downplayed his behaviour. This was also at a time where domestic abuse and battery was predominantly not reported and spoke of. Women were not taken seriously. There was always this prove-it mentality. Women were often scared for their lives, feeling trapped. Like, it was a real big issue at the time, like domestic abuse and violence with women because of the patriarchal world that we live in. And it very much being a man's world, women were often silenced when it came to domestic abuse. And also, they feared that if they did report it, they'd be killed. And in fact, actually, in most cases, when it comes to reporting of domestic abuse or leaving a domestic abuse environment, a lot of women were killed either after reporting it or within six months of leaving their partner. So, oh my God. Yeah, so it's... It's not, scary. It's a scary thing. And for, for women that were victims of it, very much powerless Yeah, at this time. Behind closed doors, however, aside from all of the, the stuff that people see, which is comments, teasing, a little bit of rough-handedness, behind closed doors, Lorena suffered even more verbal abuse and physical abuse, often being raped and assaulted. He would force anal sex on her. Oh, that's so demeaning and yeah. humiliating. And I know. And it was later confessed by peers and neighbours that John would admit that he liked to see women struggle 
And in fact, actually forcing himself on women was a turn on. And he liked to see them struggle. He liked to cause them pain. Oh, we've spoken about this before, but this is part of the problem, isn't it? Like if, if friends know that about somebody. Yeah. Like why, how could you just sit there and like, how could you not do something? Yeah. I just. This was bro talk. This was his like man talking to his boys. Yeah. And there is that whole like, oh, nobody wants to be the weak guy that calls him out for being a douchebag. But like. But it did make these guys very wary of him. And later on, we'll hear more about it. Be wary. Yeah. It didn't mean anything, did it? No. Piss me off. Yeah. So they lived in an apartment block and neighbours all witnessed or heard the arguments and the abuse that Lorena had to endure at the hand of her husband. In 1991, Lorena fell pregnant, but her enthusiasm and excitement was not met by John. It was said that he didn't feel like they could raise a child and she was unfit to be a mother. He told her that he would not support her or the baby and gave her the ultimatum that was him or the child. Lorena was afraid of being left and of the potential deportation if they were to separate. This was quite a common issue. Right. She was terrified of being deported if they broke up. So this was another thing that held God. her to him. In the end, she was forced to have an abortion by John. That's so sad. Which was very traumatic for her yeah. and heartbreaking and not something that she wanted to do. And she felt an immense amount of guilt because of that. He would belittle her frequently often using her race and the language barrier to make her feel stupid, unworthy. He would also comment on her looks, destroying her confidence, chipping away at her from the inside. She felt worthless, ugly and alone. Lorena was repeatedly beaten, raped and verbally and mentally abused. She said, as a Catholic, I don't believe in divorce. I really believed that when he said he was sorry, he meant it. And once again, like, she doesn't know any better. Like you said, at the time, it's not widely reported. It's not going to be widely spoken about. She's quite isolated. Mm-hmm. To have people tell her, you don't have to put up with this. You're not a failure. Like, this isn't okay. Like, it's okay to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, it's difficult to hear, isn't it? It's like- is difficult to hear. And she was so young. But she was reaching tipping point. Before we go any further with Lorena, shall we take a minute to introduce this episode's sponsor? It's a fun one. It is indeed. How do you like the sound of super special free beer? Uh, who wouldn't like the sound of that? Our good friends at Beer 52 and Siren Brewery have collaborated with eight different breweries across the world to offer you eight exclusive beers that you won't find anywhere else. The industry experts over at Beer 52 carefully curate a new case every month to bring you the very best craft beer from independent breweries from around the world. Simply go to www.beer52.com slash dark and cover just £6.95 postage to receive your free case now. Easy. I love beer and I bloody love Beer 52 because it gives me the opportunity to try a beer that I never would have tried or thought of even picking up from loads of different breweries and places all over the world. It's so fun and you just get to explore and just have a great 
time yeah i mean i'm not i'm normally a more of a wine drinker I'm, i get a bit scared of beers because there's just so many different types and i know that i i just don't really know what i like but i quite enjoy the fact that beer 52 kind of give me the option they give me more information about it you can tell me will i like this and if i don't like it i become quite popular with my friends who exactly. will like it and i can give it away yeah <laughs> And they give you all the beer knowledge anyway. So you can just be like, you know what? Did you know that the, this has got this kind of hop in it? Blah, 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 blah. And the flavor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know you knew that much about beer. Well, yeah, I do. Exactly. And this month, Beer 52 have teamed up with beer legend Siren to celebrate the brewery's 10th birthday. Siren are renowned for their IPAs and active deadline mode is like a highlights reel of their very best. The Pastel Pills offers clean, harmonious flavours and incredible drinkability, everything you could want from a lager. On the dark side, there's Birthday Bourbon, which is a nitro stout infused with incredible bourbon, maple, oak and full of flavour with chocolatey, roasty, dark malt. That sounds amazing. Oh my God, I'm drooling. And if you're like me and you aren't generally a fan of dark beers you can simply choose the light case and don't forget the most exciting part we almost didn't mention it but it, the snacks the snacks there's snacks <laughs> and whilst you're sipping and snacking you can learn about siren story and the fantastic breweries they've collaborated with in the award-winning ferment magazine and even if after all that sipping and some snacking, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. Lovely. That's www.beer52.com slash dark to claim your free case now. That's beer52.com forward slash dark now. Let's get back to Lorena. Yeah. So the day before the incident, June 22nd, 1993, supposedly John was the one that brought up the idea of divorce to Lorena and just the thought of it made her upset but she was still scared of him and decided to go to the police for help right the day before the incident she went to the police station in hopes of taking out a protective order against John so obviously what's that like a restraining order like a restraining order okay. so obviously the way that women would protect themselves from domestic abuse is by getting a restraining order. So that is what she intended on doing. Basically, it was going to take three hours to process and she didn't want to wait three hours, so she left before it was completed. So she went home and on the night of June 23rd, 1993, John had a friend visiting and they went out drinking. So John recalls that he was not drunk that evening, but it was clear from his friend's recollection they were both heavily intoxicated. They've been drinking okay. beers yeah. all night and they drove back drunk to the apartment where his friend slept on the couch and John went back to bed. He then ripped off her underwear. He pins her down and he applies pressure to her chest and he rapes her, causing her an immense amount of pain. And because his weight was on her, she was unable to cry out because she was barely able to breathe. At 4am, Lorena went to the kitchen to grab a glass of water. Under the glow of the fridge light, she sees the knife on the counter. She took it through to the bedroom and whilst John was laid on his back, she pulled back the sheets. She cut his penis off. Just cut it off? Cut it off. Wow. Wow. She ran to the door, taking $100 out of his wallet and drove away. I mean, if you're going to stop someone from running after you, cutting their penis off is going to work, isn't it? Yeah. So at this point, she had his penis and the knife 
but was still driving and she couldn't really do drive particularly well because she had her hands full. So she tossed it out the window, both of them out the window, and she first drove to work in a panic, didn't know what to do. She was in the parking lot. This is the salon. Then she drove to the salon owner's house, which was her close friend at the time, and that's where she ended up. And the friend told her to call the police. So whilst this is going on, John has run through to the living room and is like, I need to go to the hospital. And he's applying pressure to where it had been cut off. There's a big old vein there, isn't there? Yeah, I know. It was bleeding pretty badly, so they had to drive to the hospital where he goes to A&E. So the hospital first calls up surgeon Dr. James Sane, who was a urologist. They said, you know, we've got this guy here, his penis has been cut off. Can you come down and basically put it back on? And he says, okay, I can do that. Do you have the penis? And they say, no. He said later on in an interview, if they don't find the, you know, the other part, then they would have to just sew me up and I'd have to sit down to go to the bathroom, you know, for the rest of my life. So it was either they find the penis, sew it back on, hopefully it works, or they just sew up the hole and he has just got a pee hole. When I watched the documentary, this whole section is at the beginning and I do recommend you watch it. It's called, it's literally called Lorena. It was made four part documentary, right? And the doctor can't keep a fucking straight face. Like, it's just like pee hole is a funny word. No, but it's just like, they were just, you know, we got to find the penis. We got to find it because otherwise he's just going to have to pee like a girl for the rest of his life. This was like the tone that everyone was talking in. So that's kind of like, so my initial reaction, right, is to actually be a bit pissed off. Like, I know, okay, he's been mutilated, but all the sexual function and everything aside, like, oh, well, you know, otherwise you'll have to sit down to pee for the rest of your life. Like every fucking woman does. Like, yeah. oh. I know, but th- this I like, th- I th- 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 this rage I will touch upon in a bit because I think what the story actually evoked globally yeah. is quite problematic. Okay. Right? So the hospital now on the phone to the police saying they need to find the penis as soon as possible if it's ever to be reattached successfully... Fun fact, they couldn't actually say the word penis over the radio. They didn't want to say word of penis over the radio. They didn't have phones. I think I suppose anyone can tune into like a radio signal, right? Yeah. So they didn't want to say penis because the policemen were saying that like saying penis over the radio is like saying the word penis on the TV. Like you just Why? couldn't do it. But you can I, say penis on TV. I, I don't know. I just, this is what they were all saying That's in so the weird. interview, isn't it? But so like, they were referring to it as an, a, a severed appendage. Okay. Do you think there'd be like people out there listening to the police radio? Because people do do that, don't they? Do you can do that. Yeah. Is that like, what pirates do, right? Yeah. But do you think that there'd be someone out there that's like, <gasps> I'm going to go find that penis before anyone else does. <laughs> yeah. I want to keep that. <laughs> yeah. like, and then they'd just be like, ah, I like, like Rocket off of Guardians of the Galaxy. Just be like, I want that. I want that penis. Right. I want that. I want that arm. I want that leg. I've not seen it. He um, likes to collect like okay. people's fake Fake, oh, like fake limbs. Right, okay. Artificial limbs. But they found it. It was in a small field outside of 7-Eleven. Imagine that's your job. What did you do? How was work, honey? Well, I spent most of my night looking for a dick. (laughs) Oh, don't get paid enough. No. (laughs) I think it's interesting, the humour that comes from penis, but and why? Like, that whole... Because penises are funny. I know, but why are they... F- I'm it's not the saying... Word. I know. It's just the word. But there's so much, like... Oh, it can get... I, I feel like it can get really deep as to why is it, like, it's linked to manhood, all these different things. Like, 
I don't want to go down that whole hole just yet, but anyway, they find the yeah. penis outside of Seven Eleven. They found the penis. They put it on ice and they transported it in a hot dog bag. <laughs> hot dog. Oh, that's a tasty hot dog you got there. Let's open it. Oh my god! Like that's not the kind of hot that's dog. A different kind of sausage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for that reason in itself, it's quite amusing. Yeah, okay, isn't it's it? like, the irony is not lost. Yes. So the reattachment was successful by urologist Dr. James Seen and plastic surgeon Dr. David Berman. The night of June 23rd, 1993, Lorena was arrested and charged with malicious wounding. And if she was found guilty, she would have been she would have faced up to 20 years in prison. Uh, are you joking? 20 years for cutting off his penis? But yeah. rape would be... We're getting to that point. Okay, yep, sorry. Okay, right. I see where this... Fuck, fuck. So, John's trial was November 1993, and John was tried for marital sexual assault and was found not guilty on a November 11th, 1993. Uh, so, here we go. It is worth noting that after the night of the attack, media had caught wind and was hit, it was hitting, hitting the news hard. Within 24 hours, this was all over the fucking papers, right? Right. Articles such as wife slashes her spouse's razor, wife admits slicing off spouse's penis, penis amputation victim. But when it comes to sexual assault crimes, names not allowed to be printed in the news. But as this was going mad, they both had to hire publicists. And at this point, they then did have their names published in the newspaper. And this is when things went crazy. I'm not actually sure as to how or why their names ended up getting printed, but they had to get publicists to kind of manage this media frenzy, both of them. So this is probably what makes this story so mad, is the reaction from the rest of the world. The media went insane, and this was probably the biggest story at the time, and just took over pop culture. It was all over the news. There were comedy sketches. People wanted to meet John. People were making merch. It was all over the TV. The nation went mad. Like you had like Mike Myers did a sketch. All these comedians did a sketch. It was just all over the TV. It became like pop culture. Like they were referring to it all the time, making piss take videos of it all the time. As if. Yeah. The general consensus was she was the vengeful housewife, psycho crazy bitch that went to the extreme And he was the poor victim that had the only thing that mattered to a man taken away from him. And there were a lot of derogatory statements being said about Lorena. John was very much the victim in all of this and he basically became a sleb. And Lorena was this vengeful supervillain. That was until Lorena's trial started in the January 1994. So this is going to be aired on TV. And this is where things started to make a bit of a turning point for her. But I feel like it's an interesting case because I was watching back documentary footage and there were inserts from TV and the amount of men that were offended by the fact that a penis had been cut off. Like they couldn't understand why, like bearing in mind at this point, no one really knows what went on until Lorena's trial. Yeah, But just the immediate reaction was she was a fucking psycho that cut off the only thing that mattered to a man. And the way that she was portrayed as insane and this poor bloke. There is you this know. whole like weird sort of idolisation of a penis, isn't there? Yeah. Like that it is the ultimate symbol of manhood and 
you know, a man is nothing without it. Even down to the point of if we don't find it, you're going to have to sit down to pee for the rest of your life. Like that is the most devastating thing ever. Like you'll never be able to use his penis properly ever again. Like, oh, you'll have to pee like a girl. Like that is such a humiliating thing, having to pee like a girl. And I know that a lot of men enjoy a sit down wee just anyway. I know. That in itself just illustrates the kind of mindset. It's humiliating to not... Obviously, I've never had a penis and I, I don't think I ever will. So I can't fully understand it. Like, is that still as much of a thing now that like this whole kind of like toxic masculinity is a mm. bit more of a... And I think there is a lot more room for men to feel more comfortable being masculine in their own way. Yeah. Rather than in that sort of like typical like bro. I definitely think it's more acceptable now. But I think at that time when you've got like, this is very much a man versus women. And I always find that the woman is almost by default either not taken seriously or is demonised. It's so easy. Like once that word like crazy is thrown out, she is never gonna be able to get over that and there's like that whole thing like as soon as any woman I think most women out there will have experienced this at least once where you're trying to put your point across and someone's just like you're fucking crazy or like you're yeah you sound psycho and it's like no I'm just asserting myself but as soon as that you you can't get around it because it's just like you're crazy mama you could literally be like reciting I don't know Pythagoras yeah and so you're crazy. Muffs is, muffs is female bullshit. Yeah. And that's it. Done. Yeah. And it, like, it's, so, it's, it's fucking frustrating. That must be so painful to have all of this shit said about you. And nobody's willing to even hear your side of the story at that point. Like, right. Exactly. It must be just all that stuff she's had to go through. This is uh, where it all starts to change. So oh. she, her trial happened in January. It's quite interesting because when the documentary that I watched, Lorena, was aired, that was actually around the time that the Me Too movement was established, right? So it's still very prevalent, even now in terms of the injustice of sexual and domestic violence towards women. And this sparked a lot of conversation. This case sparked a lot of conversation at the time it was aired because of also the Me Too movement coming out. So anyway... But at the time, it was a pivotal case because she was at first deemed like this deranged, knife-wielding, manhood-chopping crazy wife, as we've said, and caused a lot of jokes and a huge emphasis on how could someone take a man's penis? This is the worst thing ever. And it upset a lot of men out there. No matter what he's done, no man deserves this to happen to him. But it was actually now highlighting, really, all the domestic abuse that she endured and caused quite a nationwide divide. But also came prevalent within society about domestic abuse generally and how the treatment of women and the downplaying of marital abuse and rape was actually a huge societal and historical somewhat pandemic because she was during the trial talking about the abuse that she went through and this was being aired on live tv this caused a lot of women to come forward I don't know about you but like just at this point I'm trying really hard to listen to you and it's very interesting but I keep flashing back to a particular moment in like my relationship history Mm. where like you know there's sort of unfavorable things may have happened that you don't really want to talk about and then sort of it's all everybody has something don't they yeah it's had to take five minutes then just to have a little bit of a collection of recollect 
didn't we? Yeah, like... Um, Got a bit of emotion. I'm not generally someone who is triggered by stuff, I think. Mm. But um, there's a lot of reflection on the actions of men and relationships and things. And When you're young and naive. When you're young and naive. And I know, like, when Helen and I became friends we were in very we had parallel lives didn't we, we? Did, yes. yeah we were in very similar difficult situations situations yeah relations but at the time we didn't know how severe it was until now on reflection when you talk about it and you're like actually yeah. that behavior was really bad but this is really um yeah just made there's one yeah just one sticking point that really sort of pops out yeah um yeah so I hope everybody else that listening to this is okay as well. Yes. We just had to take five minutes to just to go over that. But that's also made me ever so grateful that I do this with you, Helen. Aww. Like, Because it's nice that we have that sort of, that knowledge of each other. Yeah, definitely. Okay. We continue on into the night. So, battery is what they refer it to, is when a wife is beaten and abused by her husband. So Lorena's case very much highlighted actually quite a substantial societal issue, which is battery and marital rape, which a lot of people didn't think was a thing, right? No, I remember it actually that, you know, like a it's part of the yeah the thing of marriage, isn't it, that you must be available to your husband whenever right. he desires. So during John's trial for malicious sexual assault, his defence attorney suggested Lorena had attacked her husband out of sexual frustration and anger at the prospect of her leaving him, leaving her. Also, previously, when I said about when she was on the phone to the police, she said that he never make me orgasm, that quote. Yeah. They used that, they threw it back in her face quite a lot, that she actually attacked out of frustration and anger and that she herself had cut with scissors her own underwear and um, previous abuse was ruled inadmissible. And I read a quote from an article that states, John Wayne Bobbitt was acquitted, benefiting from the fact that domestic violence and sexual assault were still so cloaked in ignorance and shame that we didn't have a vocabulary for them. Someone else said, it's very difficult to send a man to jail for 20 years for having marital relations with his wife. It's bullshit, isn't it? Yeah. Like, but I think it's easy to take for granted, actually, isn't it? How far things have come, but how quickly. Like, yeah. Because I never think of us, like me and you, as victims or like, you know, like, I, you know, like we're very strong vocal, like, shouty women mm -hmm. and even when we were 18 20 21 this vocabulary was only wasn't still wasn't there like it was now it was then starting to be yeah more widely sort of spoken about and less taboo but it was still very much a like we didn't realize the things that were happening to us yeah until later in life and like that's modern society that was I always want to say 10 years ago, but 15. Oh, fuck. <laughs> okay. It, yeah. was, it was more than 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. There was a lot of people that thought that it wasn't rape if you were married, that it was your right to have sex with your partner. And approximately 10 to 14% of married women are raped by their husbands in the United States. And uh, approximately one third of women report having unwanted sex with their partner. 
And historically, most rape statutes read read that rape was forced sexual intercourse of a woman, not your wife, thus granting husbands a license to rape. On July 5th, 1993, marital rape became a crime in all 50 states under at least one section of the sexual offence codes. And in 20 states, there were no exemptions from rape. However, in 30 states, a husband is exempt when he does not have to use force because his wife is vulnerable and is unable to consent. Oh, my God. So, like, if she's passed out or, like, asleep. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. I I know. And women who are raped by their husbands are likely to be raped many times. And also, there are a lot of women that don't report it in fact most oh, people don't yeah do they? it's like there is still even like this sort of shame embarrassment like yeah but this is why john didn't get tried for rape because under virginia law at the time the legal definition of rape only applied if couples lived apart or the victim was seriously physically injured so that's why he's not <sighs> yeah he wasn't yeah. and to be fair we've seen it in um toy box yeah all he has to do is be like she never said no mm-hmm. she, she wanted to yeah she might say she didn't want to but i think she did right so with all this going on lorena is talking about everything she went through at her trial it's highlighting a lot of the issues societally about abuse and marital rape and then that means of course, where women start to bite back and support Lorena. So originally she was the supervillain, yeah. crazy dick-cutting wife. But now the truth is out and now she's been vulnerable and heartbreaking to watch her recall what she went through because she's being asked these questions that she has to relive and she's just in bits during this trial. But women are starting to come back and show their support for Lorena. And for example, Whoopi Goldberg at the time... Bear in mind, this was like a hot topic all over the TV still. Whoopi Goldberg did a comedy sketch supporting the radio, actually. So, ah, right. Motherfuckers are panicking across the country. Men don't know what to do. Women live with the knowledge that weird shit can happen at any point. You go down a dark alley and whoosh, somebody grabs you. And now men actually have to think about this shit. Because women were starting to be like, yeah. We can cut we, dicks off. We can cut your fucking dick off. Yeah, like we're not we, powerless. We won't be silenced anymore. Yeah. Women were angry whilst men were offended. It was very much like what... Doesn't he, that just sound so familiar? Yeah, like what he did was bad. No man ever deserves this. This is what basically the argument. There are a lot of people that didn't believe Lorena. Like... Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't just go around cutting people's dicks off. But... If you are going to cut a dick off, you know, someone who's repeatedly raped you yeah, is, is probably going to be a prime target. But this is this is kind of the and, issue that came up yeah. with the trial. Even going back to when she reported the incident, right, to contextualise, she reported that he had repeatedly abused and raped her and an officer insisted that they first address the urgent matter, which was, where is the penis? Thus, the hierarchy and priorities there were established. So she's abusing her, sorry, she's reporting her abuse and rape and all they care about is where's the dick. It's just, it's fucked, isn't it? Yeah. But also like primarily that at that time, the police force would be men. They wouldn't have been hardly hardly any female officers at all, would they? Yeah. So all of this, it opens the doors for women to protest and really changed the way that we see domestic abuse towards women. 
And Lorena's case opened the curtains, as it were, to reveal the real issues going on. So this became actually quite, it was a pivotal case because it actually opened everybody's eyes as to what was actually going on. A lot of women were coming out, they were fighting back, they were protesting, they were using her case as like a springboard to actually address real issues that were going on. During the trial, psychiatrists were suggesting that she was a victim of battered person syndrome, which is a psychological condition that can develop when a person experiences abuse. And she had to go into detail about her experiences with John and her treatment over the years of their relationship to prove that she was suffering with like PTSD, anxiety and depression. Basically, they had to prove that what she did... This is where it gets tricky, that what she did was somewhat justified, that she'd been through so much that cutting his dick off or his penis off was somewhat out of her control because she'd been driven to a point where she... Yeah, like she she hadn't premeditated it or decided that she was going to do it, but at that time she almost had no choice. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can see it, especially like... If you were in your right mind, you'd do it Mm -hmm. and then put it in the garbage disposal or like in the bin or like stamp on it or something. Mm -hmm. Damage it beyond repair if it was like a malicious. Yeah, exactly. um, But she was obviously in a panic state. She ran off of it. Literally like like, drove off of it in her hand. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you're like, oh, where's my phone? Oh, it's in my hand. Oh, like, oh, oh, oh. Why can't I hold the steering wheel? Oh, it's uh, um, there's a dick in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know that common problem. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like there, it shows a certain level of panic of I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I've, I don't know what I've done. What have I done? Yeah, why? Uh, yeah, it is a very like specific. It's a targeted crime, isn't it? Like yeah. she could have stabbed him. She could have slit his throat. She could have. He was sleeping. Yeah. She had a knife. She could have done anything. Yeah. But that, yeah, shouldn't want to kill him. As a woman, that doesn't even scream she wants to harm him particularly. That screams to me, make it stop. Right. Rather than I'm going to cause you the worst harm possible to a man. Yeah. Making you lose your manhood. And, you know, it was said... That's the issue. That was the issue, wasn't it? It was said during the trial that it was his penis from which she could not escape and which caused her the most pain, fear and humiliation. So, yeah. That was the point. At first, it was looking like they were just trying to prove that she was acting out of anger, that she was, she had, she did it maliciously and she had no right. They were trying to pin her down for this, but they had support from witnesses. So, previously mentioned, they attested that they'd seen Bobbitt grab her by her hair, punch her, shove her. They'd seen bruises on her neck, rug burns on her arms. These are all neighbours. Others had said previously that, you know, Bobbitt had told them that he liked forced anal sex. So the guys, the lads, as it were, yeah. they all showed up at court as witnesses and they'd all confirmed that he'd said stuff like this. Neighbours recounted hearing him beat Lorena through the walls. Another ma- neighbour admitted to giving Lorena pamphlets on domestic abuse, admitting she too was abused. Bearing in mind that this was aired on TV, there was also a huge response when she would often talk about how he would threaten her with deportation as she really didn't want to go back to Ecuador. This threat alone was enough to make her endure her suffering and he made her feel alone and she had no one to go to. So as it was being aired, 
a huge, huge surge of the Hispanic community showed up Yay. to support Lorena. They didn't want her to feel alone. Hundreds of people would literally wait outside the courthouse just so they could get a glimpse of her, just so they could cheer her on. And they had Aww. banners. So it was all, you know, starting to come together. So going back to the point about how they were trying to prove that she was acting out of anger, they would also say stuff like, she could have left him. She could have called the police. This was the bait that the prosecutors were throwing at her. Why did you have to cut his penis off? Why didn't you just leave? And this was the argument that was being addressed when women are going through domestic abuse. Everybody feels like they can tell them what they should have done. But you don't know what someone is capable of doing until you're in that situation. A lot of people like to say, you should have done that. Why didn't you do this? Why don't you just leave him? Yeah. But no one has that right to tell a woman how she should have behaved or reacted in that moment. And this is where a lot of, you know, shit would go down with women murdering their husbands. And I think I think this is actually quite the, 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 an interesting point of the case. Like a lot of women that go through battery syndrome, let's say if they kill their husband because they've been abused for over a period of time, each time it happens, it's a build-up, a build-up, a build-up. And it sometimes can only take one thing to actually cause them to do the act rather than like for self-defense let's put it this way if someone comes in your house right and they've got a gun or a knife and they're going to kill you and you kill them because you're defending yourself because something you see that immediate threat to your life that's why you would do something like kill someone right but when it comes to battery syndrome it could take something quite little to cause you to react with murder or cutting someone's penis off because you've had to endure all the previous abuse. So this was the point that they're trying to prove that it wasn't just like an anger, like, oh, I'm just going to react because I'm annoyed and that she would do something like that and it's not justified. And it's like a, an out of control, an exaggerated response. Yes. Is what they're trying to... Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to find the line for justification. Like, why did you have to cut his penis off? They're just trying to mutilating him essentially yeah. it's interesting because i feel like in that situation reality becomes almost like a microclimate there's the big reality that everybody is living like the actual world mm. and then everybody has their own like microclimate of reality which is their experience of yeah. reality you're in your but echo like, chamber yeah and like everybody from their own reality has opinions on how you should be living yours, but they're yeah. not living. Yeah. They're not in your microclimate. No. The weather's different where they are. Yeah. The grass is a different colour. Exactly. Like, I can see how this is so divisive because, like, you know, there's two victims. Yeah. Like, and he two is, crimes. Yeah. He is the victim of a physical assault. And she like, is a victim of yeah. a long time of abuse. Yeah, I mean, like, um, we always say this, like, it is when we have, like, female protagonists as women, I think it's it's sort of natural to kind of be, like, because of the way society has developed, it is more natural to be to sort of be, like, oh, the woman's probably the victim mm. in it. And, like, we have to really sort of make ourselves... I remember this with um, Eileen Warnos, really having to sort of remind myself to not naturally be sympathetic towards her oh it's because of this like she was killing people for fun yeah the end there whereas this doesn't have that same ring to it does it no i feel for her and i and it i don't and i know this shouldn't be a thing but i i like my natural inclination is also to then be like before you start really looking into it it's be like well he's alive 
Yeah. Yeah, she cut his penis off. He got it back. Like, yeah. is it really that bad? But, <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, that's that's just initial. Um, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's this car, this is really, like, wormy, isn't it? You, it can, is. you can burrow so deep. Yeah. But the whole issue with the trial was, in defence, was trying to prove that she wasn't in a good place mentally. There was a moment where it was looking like she was going to be guilty because they still couldn't work out why she would go to the length to cut his penis off, you know, to attack him, to mutilate him. But another witness shows up just before the jury are about to make their decision, Regina Keegan. So she had her nails done a couple of days prior to the attack and explains how first up, terrible nail job, terrible brow job. Lorena was not in a right right, right mind. A terrible nail job, wasn't good. And Lorena was trembling. She had to roll her sleeves up. And she revealed all these bruises up her arm. And when she was asked about them, Lorena broke down. She was shaking and explained it was her husband, but everything was okay. Regina was so heartbroken, she offered her a place to stay. And Lorena declined on the basis that John would kill her and then kill you too. God. Her testimony showed symptoms which were compatible with post-traumatic stress disorder, i.e. Lorena's behaviour at that time in the nail salon was compatible with post-traumatic stress disorder. So she was clearly not okay. And this final witness that came in to explain this, because this occurred literally a couple of days before the attack, was so important to the verdict. This was enough to persuade the jurors to give the verdict of not guilty by reason of temporary insanity interesting yeah that seems that feels right yeah so she was found not guilty on january 24th 1994 and was sent to a psychiatric ward for 45 days it also doesn't feel like she's going to be a danger to society no she's not going to go around cutting everybody's dicks off thank god that regina yeah saw it on the tv and she got in contact because she saw it on the tv and was like that's that's my nail late that's the girl that broke my heart yeah. That that I felt so compelled to want to save and look after. I need to do something about it. And she nearly missed the boat. She nearly missed her opportunity because they were like, juries are going in. Mm. They're making up the decision. Oh so someone on the inside that really wanted to like help gave her a number for someone. And she got in there and she got in there last minute. And it was her testimony that then changed the mind of a psychiatrist during the trial, he actually got up and said, I've changed my mind. She's yeah. clearly showing signs of PTSD. That's incredible. Yeah. Car, there you go. Always be kind, people. Yeah. Like, you so, know what someone's going through. That's the case. The story still blows my mind because... <sighs> what? It's just what happens after. Like, no. so, so, bearing in mind what he did to her... Right. He was still deemed a celeb... And he started doing porn. What? Yeah. So it became so popular because the world was fascinated with his penis. They wanted to see if it still worked. His porno videos were like the most popular in the country. No way. And people still were obsessed with him. Yeah. Like he was going on doing stage performances. He was meeting up with celebrities. Oh my God. People wanted to meet him all whilst... She was locked up, essentially. She was essentially in a jail. Yeah. Like a medical jail. Whilst she had to, like, 
repair herself and be sort of not rehabilitated like put but back like together put back together whilst he's off living his life be it's it like she did him a favor what? No, I just think it's just the stark contrast, sort of somewhat injustice of the yeah. situation. Like, he's still being praised and getting attention. Like, he's just been called out for being like a rapist and an abusive partner, yet still people are giving him the time of day and that are fascinated with him and like blowing smoke up his ass. Yeah, it's gross. It's and horrible. Because it also makes me question, like, if, like, knowing what we know about his sexual preferences, yeah. what kind of porn is he making and how are people comfortable with watching that? I, I know. But this is why this case kind of made me feel like lots of feelings yeah. because it just shows just how fucked the world is Yuck. and people's kind of priorities. And I mean, do you know what? And I hate myself, but you've said it and my initial instinct was like, I feel like I need to Google that. Because I mean, also my, my like stupid brain is like, well, I, you know, what does it look like after it's been reattached? Like, yeah. I'm disgusted by this man. Like, I don't want to praise him or, like, you know, idolise him or, like, meet him ever. No. Like, you know, I think of him and I feel angry. But there is just, like, the... He's a curio, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's a, a, an object of curiosity. He was getting a lot of attention. Like, right. people had him on the radio. Like, they were obsessed. And even after the trial and she got her verdict, people were still hating on her. Some of the derogatory things that like men in interviews were saying about her, like even after it's been proven or, or said that he's a rapist and an abuser, they still think that what she did was too far. It's it, fucked, yeah, isn't it? It's mad. I mean, talk about making lemonade. He's fucking taken that and ran with it. Oh, really, he? he's, there's, there's oh, he's a disgusting person. Big lemon. He was getting about quite a lot. His rise to fame was short lived. He ended up at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, famed Nevada brothel as a limo driver and a doorman. But he brought in the crowds. People wanted to come meet him. He did end up leaving. He was a bit of an ass. There was a lot of altercations, a lot of fights. He was not very nice to the owners. There was a lot of violence. You know, he, he was... He's, well, yeah, I mean, the guy sounds like a fucking prick. He, he is. He's a bit... I've just realised a lot of my insults are dick-based. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah. I think most I insults are, though, that. right? I wonder if that's because in my mind that is a negative. Yeah. Interest. Oh my god, this opens up so much about the individual brain. Yeah. Doesn't it? I like butthole as an insert, as a as a like as a gender neutral insult. Butthole. Yeah. Everybody yeah. has one. We've we've already discussed that. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Have them. Um, car. This is big. Yeah. This is just it's a lot. So after it? he wow. left, he left the ranch. After quite a lot of shit went down. Yeah. Um, and he moved back to Nevada with a girlfriend that he met at the brothel. She also ended up reporting abuse and rape from John. And in 1999, according to Las Vegas Sun, John faced up to five years in prison and a $10,000 fine for felony theft and was sentenced to five years of probation. In 2003, John was arrested and charged with battery of his then wife, Joanna Ferrell. But John was found not guilty of four counts of domestic battery. So he still continued his ways. So did he get, ever get sentenced for, he, like, no. ba battery or rape or anything? No. He still... And they wanted to give her 20 years. Yeah. I'm never going to be over that. It's yeah. fucking ridiculous. I just... What the... What the... That... I always say... I hate myself for always saying it, but what the fuck? Yeah. It's bullshit. So whilst he's living his life of being an absolute jerk, still... 20 fucking years. Yeah. Like, that's that's five years off a standard murder charge. 
he was fine. Like he was he was not in danger of losing his life at that point. No. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so he's living his life. He's still being a dick. He's still doing awful things. He's not learning his lesson. And he's in and out of trouble all the time. And Lorena went on to do loads of work in domestic abuse support groups, homes, shelters. She's now actually, if you follow her on Instagram, that is what she does. She oh, supports wow. women. Like oh, she good for her. is always giving. She's always supporting. She's very charitable. That's, she does a lot of work. Like That's and, the real lemonade. Yeah. That's the real. So that was Lorena Bobbitt. Wow. I mean, I think we've not been great at socials doing the like the the recap of each episode. Right. Um, because we're having to do it all ourselves now and we're busy. But I definitely want to make sure we do one for this because let us know what you think because that's I'm just so interested in everybody's different realities of yeah. this situation. Very interesting. Well done, Helen. Well, it just turned, it just sort of turned into something that sounded initially quite amusing and like, oh, uh, you know, the immature side to you kind of like opens up. But then when you really look into it, it just it does open up a whole fucking can of worm of issues. Yeah. And it made me feel really like sort of passionate about a lot of things and reflective. Yeah, I think it's opened up and like it's important to have these conversations as well and to, to keep having those conversations and to put those kind of topics out there because like you say, everybody is... I think actually with this case, I think that it symbolises women's rights versus men perfectly. patriarchy. Perfectly, because she... I think it's because she cut off his penis. Like, what does... Like, how does that look? It's the ultimate sign of masculinity, of a man's identity, and she took it away from him. If she took off, like, a finger or, like, a toe... I don't think it would be that kind of like huge news. The fact that it caused such a divide, the fact that it was so terrible that she took a man's penis and all these men were crying about it and saying all these horrible derogatory things about how she was a psychopath and how could she do that? And no matter what he did, he did not deserve that. The fact that she took his penis, which is so symbolic for manhood versus actually what that woman was going through. Yeah. It really just puts it out there as to... How women are silenced and shamed and called names and not taken seriously. And how, why was it such a big deal that she took his penis? Do you know what I mean? Like the hierarchy there. Yeah. What's more important? Yeah. That's why I find it so yeah. kind of like it is. It's an, an interesting case. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm going to go away and think. I think this is going to stay with me for a little bit, actually. I definitely think you should watch the um, documentary because when I first started watching it, I voice noted Danny saying that this is really funny because no one can keep a straight face and it started off quite comical. Yeah. Quite comical. Like, And even she seemed quite proud of herself and it had a really b- bit of a weird tone to it, but then it took a twist. And then you're like, fuck, actually, this is a big deal and this is really serious. Actually, you, you start really vetting for her side. And it did. It made made me feel a lot and think a lot of different things. So it was on Amazon Prime. Just Lorena. Just watch it. I will. I'm going to. Cool. But anyway, that was that. And uh, next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're going to be looking at the last woman to be hanged in the UK. It's Ruth Ellis. Oh. 
subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast and make sure you never miss an episode of devils in the dark and don't forget you can find us on instagram at devils in the dark in the meantime if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources and thank you for listening bye